Hello, Bitcoiners. Colin here. In this episode of the Unhashed Podcast, who deserves the lightning torch next? And will Bill Foddle ever get their chance to carry the flame? Apparently, confidential transactions weren't enough for Litecoin, as Charlie Lee is now supposedly courting the Beam team about implementing Mimblewimble into his coin. What new flashy tech will Satoshi Lite suggest implementing next? And if you are so sure that no one noticed that coin-breaking bug in your protocol, does that mean no one gives a shit about your coin anymore anyway? Find out the answers to these and other questions in this week's episode of the Unhash Podcast. See you on the other side. It's the Unhashed Podcast, Colin, Brian, Ruben, Mario. It's the Unhashed Podcast, telling everything that they know about the world of Bitcoin. The world of Bitcoin, where they don't trust, they verify. You can fork yourself if you don't abide. Talking whales and bear whales, oh oh. Stupid ICOs, Colin, Brian, Ruben, and Mario. It's the Unhashed Podcast. The Unhashed Podcast. It's the Unhashed Podcast. The Unhashed Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Unhashed Podcast, a show we bring crypto down to earth and cut through all the blockchain bullshit. I'm your host. Colin Alden, I'm here with your co-host, Ruben, the Windmill, Samson. Hello. And your other co-host, Mario, the Maple Leaf, the Gib, the Jib, Jibney. Hi, everyone. And my brother, Brian, the Belpuckle, Alts. Howdy. Well, everybody, uh, we're back again, as usual, one more week. And man, oh man, there are so many... Uh, news items this week, so much so that we had to cut some of them just to make our hour and 50 minutes of time left we have to record here. But we're going to get to those next week, probably. Uh, we tried to cut the ones that are evergreen, so they'll still be relevant. But we wanted to give you the most timely ones now while they're still hot and fresh out the pot. Um, we have some corrections to go through first. Um, I'm going to let Mario go through those since they were mostly brought to his attention uh, more than they were brought to ours. So go ahead, Mario. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I'd just like to say thanks for getting feedback for the first time. So uh, thank you guys for listening. But uh, first thing we heard back was from uh, was from Explore Tone, excuse me, from Explore Cryptoni on Twitter. Uh, reached out to us and uh, had a bit of a took a bit of issue with how we represented NEM in the last episode. Um, uh, one, one of the things that we talked about, if you'd heard, was that uh, we kind of got in a bit of debate amongst ourselves about whether or not the project was a scam. And uh, and uh, Tony wanted to point out that um, uh, that you know the perhaps we might have represented the the cryptocurrency and the community in in not so favorable a way, and that we had misinterpreted some facts. So he wanted to he wanted to point out that about a third of existing funds are locked in multisigs, and these are community funds, and that the creators of the NAM project. Um, the multi-signature signers, they don't agree to put any money into the foundation before the community votes based on a proof, some proof-of-stake system, um, and that the project's curated by three devs, that they hold about 100 million uh, shem, XEM each, uh, but they've never sold more than a million. Um, so they haven't kind of cashed out, seems to be the argument here. 
um, and that he wanted to draw a distinction between the uh, the developers um, and kind of founders of the project and the foundation, and that uh, that it seems as though uh, you know, we we might have been conflating the the founders of the project um, and the the kind of main developers who are kind of driving it going and driving it forward and the foundation itself. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, do you guys think that uh, that that changes your analysis at all of how we well, um, d- how we pr- represented it? Does this mean well, that that when I was talking about the uh, community should sell instead of uh, sending them their Zim, they actually already have the XEM locked up, and that when he was requesting 165 million, he was just asking the community to unlock it for him? Is that kind of what was going on there? No, um, so I think there's like three main developers that have like a large portion of the Zim in circulation. And they have nothing to do with the foundation. And then there was even he, the, the person that sent us this feedback, uh, sent us a link to a tweet. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but the gist of it, was, and the tweet was from one of these developers saying basically that he didn't like the foundation. Uh, the uh, Twitter handle is at Jaguar0625, quote, yet more drama from the foundation that has no impact on the actual development. Hint, most developers don't work for the foundation. So uh, he seems to be at at odds with the foundation, and which I think if we want to roll back the clock and look at Bitcoin and the Bitcoin foundation, uh, there's definitely some similar tensions there. So just so that we're fair. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I still have my question, though, and that is when the foundation was asking for 165 million XEM, was I right in assuming he was actually asking for donations from all the all the Zim hodlers? Or yes. is there some fund out there that... They have to get approval for unlocking. No, no, he was asking for donations. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so your comment on that someone's probably better off selling than donating the foundation is is yeah probably still right. And I don't think that the the, the feedback from Tony here uh, was taking issue with that. I think uh, I think the the point he's trying to make here is that uh, we might be uh, uh, making judgments on the founders and developers of the project, which might be based on actions of the foundation, which is a separate entity. Which yeah, is a worthwhile thing to highlight. I mean, it's it's hard to really determine like to what degree they're separate or not, but uh, I, I'm sure they are. Uh, you know, not everybody's behind the foundation, obviously, and uh, they're they're probably not in full power, but uh, it, it certainly seems like they're in control of things. Um, and I, I will say this as well. I think probably it, it, I, I'm getting the impression as well. My insistence that this was a scam uh, seems to have been a factor in in uh, I don't know us sounding like we were representing pretty poorly. <laughs> I, I am I am still going to stand by that though. By the way, even if these you know three core developers have been acting you know as responsibly as they can and haven't cashed out their large large amounts of money, um, that's great. Um, it seems like. If that's how they're behaving, and they're kind of trying not to be affiliated with what they see as you know corrupt action of the foundation, they can still be acting well as individuals. But I am going to stand by the idea that the concept as a whole is a scam, since it is still a both a bad business idea and something designed to uh, take in a tremendous amount of money um, from people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I I hope that actually you know I hope that. Uh, 
you know, addresses at least some of Tony's concerns, uh, but I, I am still going to stand by my analysis of the uh, the project as a whole. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to fully agree with it, but uh, I think it's good that we highlighted highlighted the other side of uh, of the debate, so to speak. In uh, yeah, full so disclosure, uh, crypto, crypto Tony or Explore Crypto, um, I believe, if I if I recall correctly, he was actually the first person to review the bill foddle uh, on YouTube. So thanks to him for that, but also a grain of salt. Uh, you know, I guess we have sort of a mutual interest there, so it's worth yeah. worth noting that as well. Whatever, yeah. whatever uh, you did, yeah. he did I mean, say he did say in his feedback that he no longer uh, really follows the project and doesn't really care about it anymore, but just wanted to correct the facts. So, yep. yeah, don't. All right, so yeah, thanks so much for the uh, for the feedback there, Tony. Um, and then uh, we had we had another bit of a uh, another bit of uh, uh, slight correction from another member of the community. Uh, Adam Gibson let us know that. Uh, we had missed Monero when we were talking about uh, uh, projects that have implemented uh, confidential transactions. And I thought this was this was an interesting comment because, um, uh, as some of you may recall, last time we, we we were talking about Litecoin adding confidential transactions, and then we're trying to think off the top of our heads. Oh, well, what other projects have that implemented? Um, and we didn't list Monero. Now, I that was me speaking at the time, and I didn't list it because I know that Monero accomplishes um, a uh, very, very much the same thing that confidential transactions does, but I was under the impression that uh, it does so through a slightly different method. Now, Ruben, are you able to uh, to uh, explain this one in a bit more detail? I, I am now, uh, after a lengthy back and forth with uh, Adam Gibson and uh, even Adam Beck chiming in. Uh, now I understand Monero a little bit better. Um, still, there are lots of questions that I have about like how the uh, uh, exact uh, confidential transactions are implemented, but uh, uh, and and they also changed it again with the bulletproof. So I, I, my information is also not entirely up to date. Basically, they're kind of like second incarnation or or like the first time they added confidential transactions. They did something called Ring CT, um, and uh, it's it's kind of a combination of um, ring signatures, which kind of makes it like a non-interactive coin join kind of setup. Uh, plus confidential transactions. So I would say, yes, Adam Gibson was absolutely right. Uh, it does have uh, confidential tra- confidential transactions, although not exactly, you know, in the same shape as uh, we've seen it in uh, something like Liquid, but it's it's very, fairly similar. Okay. All right. Th- thanks very much, Adam. We, we appreciate that. And, uh, and then the last kind of, uh, the last item on our corrections leads into our first news story, which is, uh, about a big story from last week, uh, the Quadriga CX drama. Um, yeah, and, and actually, it's just more like the next uh, three or next two stories. I guess we removed <laughs> some of them. We had like four stories here about Quadriga, but I, I guess we've moved two of them. There's um, a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, number one, uh, the Quadriga drama has now spilled over into crypto Twitter with Peter Todd taking the writer of the original analysis piece we covered by Proof of Research to task about some of the claims he made in the write-up, specifically about how the exchange should have managed customer deposits and withdrawals and how best to manage its UTXOs. Um, so I don't. I think uh, Mario, were you the one that uh, posted this this story? Yeah, right? I can. Get, I can get into this one, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. You so, start us off. Right. So last time we we talked about this blog post. It was originally on Medium, and then it got moved to a personal blog um, about an author who had claimed that through. Uh, through analysis of withdrawal transactions, he claims to have determined that there was no cold storage and that 
that the exchange was effectively running a Ponzi scheme was just paying withdrawals with recently deposited funds. Now, the um, the main thing we got to correct here is that um, even if that's true, even if withdrawals were being paid with recently made deposits, that doesn't necessarily indicate a Ponzi scheme. Um, Peter Todd was trying to point out that that's actually just kind of normal, responsible behavior on behalf of exchanges because essentially if you have a whole bunch of coins locked up in cold storage – you want to mess with them as little as possible. You don't want to be constantly topping off your cold storage or withdrawing from it. I guess depositing to cold storage isn't a big thing, but you don't want to be frequently withdrawing from your cold storage because that starts to defeat the purpose of, of having it there. So if you can keep most of your funds in cold storage and your withdrawals and deposits are roughly equal on an exchange, then it kind of makes sense, even for an honest exchange with full reserves, to pay withdraw, withdrawals with recently made deposits. Um, so it seems as though the author of that blog post may still be correct. It's still possible, but it seems as though there is not at this time enough evidence to make that kind of assertion with a uh, high probability. Yeah, but the the other point that he was making was that they were delaying the withdrawals until they had enough deposits to honor the withdrawal. Right, yeah. So, And that was something now, that Peter Todd seemed to kind of just be ignoring. Well, now that that is a point, I guess, in favor of the Ponzi scheme theory, but isn't again is not as conclusive as is made out to be. There are a few possible innocent explanations for that. First of all, when the CEO died, it's possible that it it it's just going to take them some time, and they will find the cold storage. That's you know I, I'm not holding my breath on that one. But that's possible, and in that situation, it, people only had access to hot wallets and not the cold storage yet. Um, they might have had to do that. They might have had to, you know, delay withdrawals until recent deposits came in. Um, and so I guess it's it's um, it's a point. It the the fact that there were delayed withdrawals because they had to wait for deposits um, indicates a lack of access to cold storage, but is not an indication that um, that the cold storage doesn't exist. Also, it it referred to this type of uh, activity going on. Uh, back in November last year, before the CEO died, and at that time, I don't believe that there were um, that there were widespread reports of delayed withdrawals. Mm. I see. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I guess you know it's still an interesting um, idea for the the, the proof of research art um, you know uh, blog post, but I think it, as far as I can tell, it seems to make sense to just. Uh, lower your probability on that. Think of it as a possible theory, but nowhere near as uh, as as likely as it's indicated in that story. Now, one thing I have found a little amazing in all of this, and I guess we can get back to what you were talking about in a minute, Colin, but is that no one has posted, you know, if, if there is cold storage somewhere, no one's posted like a deposit that went into uh, Quadriga like a year ago. And then followed it to like somewhere that it hasn't moved in for you know in eight months or something. Um, it seems like that would have been that would have come to light by now. I mean, I realize like yeah, it's an odds thing, but like with all the attention getting poured on it, like we would have found the cold storage. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, Quadriga's legal proceedings have begun, and we got to look into those proceedings via tweet storm from CBC reporter Jack Julian. According to his live updates, Quadriga will be protected from lawsuits and deadlines for up to 30 days under the Canadian Creditors Arrangement Act, which is a statute from 1933 that allows insolvent corporations 
owing their creditors in excess of $5 million to restructure their business and financial affairs. Other revelations came to bear that one lawyer was representing 78 clients owed over $11 million, and it's even come to light that one unlucky ex-BitTorrent software engineer lost over seven years' worth of savings valued at over $400,000 of crypto due to the debacle. So I don't know what else there's to say here. Nothing too surprising, I suppose. Uh, I'm sure Quadriga is happy that they have a few days to kind of come up with a game plan here due to this um, uh, the uh, CCAA Act. Um, I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought this was notable just because it, it highlights kind of you know how such a small number of clients um, end up owning such a large amount of money um, that was on the exchange. And uh, I was trying to think through reasons, like I mean, because well, last time I kind of uh, you know repeated the whole line, you know, not your keys, not your coins, don't store your money in exchange. But I was trying to think of you know other reasons that someone might have money on an exchange, large amounts, and there probably were some people who got very very unlucky and you know intended to withdraw after a day or two, but just had really lousy timing. And uh, and you know the average of these seventy eight clients over uh, eleven million, it's it's more than one hundred and forty thousand dollars um, each. And you know, assuming there's some uh, inequality between the deposits of the different clients, you know, I mean, some of them have significantly more than that stored. There was one uh, uh, one software engineer in particular, yeah, who had you know four hundred thousand dollars of crypto. Um, gone, which is apparently you know seven years of his savings. He'd been working uh, four hundred thousand, not four thousand, four hundred thousand dollars. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, so I don't know if this guy was just keeping it there, um, or if he was like in the process of sending it home, you know, through Bitcoin transfer or something. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the main takeaway here would be like if you have an extremely large sum of money and you even need to pass it through an exchange for set for like temporary. Um, you know, or for, for, for a short time period, you just want to, you know, sell, withdraw or buy and draw and get out, you know, break it up into pieces, break it up into small pieces. This stuff is frequent. Uh, I think, you know, and, and if you're I a date, can, yeah. I can speak a little bit to what I think was going on. Um, Jesse Powell, who is the CEO of the Kraken Exchange, I think it's like one of the third or the fourth largest in the U.S., um, he was commenting that he was like leading up to this happening. He was, they saw an increase in withdrawals going to Quadriga. Um, and you'd wonder like, why is that happening? And so the reason was, is because, uh, there started to be a bigger and bigger arbitrage and that started attracting more and more people putting, getting their funds onto the exchange to try to take advantage of the arbitrage. So I think what, people need to realize when they see these large spreads is that is just the market pricing in risk. And so if you see like, oh, there's a 10% arbitrage between buying on Quadriga versus buying on, um, let's say, a Kraken exchange or even another exchange in Canada, like what you're really getting there is, you know, you're rolling the dice on, that's the market pricing and the risk. So if you're taking that ARB, you're taking on that risk. Yeah, I, I guess. Um, I guess you, you, if you don't know what causes arbitrage, find out what it is before you try to capitalize on it. Yeah, um, yeah. It doesn't have to be risk. I want to say, but risk yeah. it could be one of the reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you know, we were living in South Korea for kind of the uh, the kimchi premium, and those were. 
Um, yeah, and th- that's there just was volume. There were some right? hefty premiums. Well, that wasn't volume. That was main. Well, volume was a big part of it, but it was also the uh, capital control laws in Korea. Now, that's not necessarily risk. That's just the fact that it's really hard to get fiat out of the country. Now, if you understand that and can find a way around that issue, then you can still you can still make money off of the arbitrage. But as Brian points out, if you know there's this mysterious arbitrage going on, this Quadrigus X exchange, and you're not sure why, um, and in this case, yeah, it might have been caused by the uh, uh, by the you know deposit withdrawal issues. Um, yeah, maybe you know find out what it is first before you start going to do it. Yeah, like if the only way that people are able to get money out of Quadriga for that period of time was cash in Canadian dollars, then th- that is necessarily going to depress the price of Bitcoin. Um, on the I, I, th- I think it was the other way around, actually. I think um, I think that people had trouble with cash withdrawals, right? They had banking issues. Yeah. Um, I think uh, yeah, that they, came first. They did have, that and was they, getting fuel caught up. I was just giving an example. Right, of, right, like, yeah gonna happen yeah so stay safe out there kids that's right yep number three users have been passing around a so-called quote lightning torch a running game wherein each participant adds a little bitcoin to a payment then passes it on to someone on twitter that they trust in order to spread awareness of the technology widely seen as the future of bitcoin payments since payments are fast and scalable but perhaps most surprising is that the latest person to carry this torch is none other than Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. That was when we wrote this. It's now, uh, I don't, it went on to Liz Stark and then uh, to Samson and then Samson sent it to someone. I'm not, I don't remember who he sent it to. Through space. Uh, yes, through, through outer space. Uh, none other than Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, who then sent it on to Lightning Lab CEO Elizabeth Stark. Okay, yeah, I just said that. Um, yeah, so uh, that's pretty cool. Um, we've been vying to get that torch for a while now, but gosh darn it, no one will pass it to us, so. You'll get it. We'll get it. Um, I think it's 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 worth noting here that uh, Jack Dorsey is one of the largest investors into Lightning Labs, so it's not True. terribly surprising. Uh, no, there's there's a pretty good reason for him to be on top of this stuff. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Yeah. And actually, uh, recently, this I believe this was just today or yesterday. Like he, um, uh, as a result of this, uh, of him possessing Lightning Torch, um, there's a podcast by uh, Stefan Levera who wanted to get uh, Jack on to talk about uh, his interest in Lightning Network. And uh, I believe that just came out. Uh, it was uh, Stephen Levera's podcast, and he had both uh, both Jack Dorsey and Elizabeth Stark on. I want to um, listen. So to that. I, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but um, I probably will be getting to that as soon as I when I can. I believe one notable quote from it was uh, he was asked about Lightning Network on Square, and uh, and his response was that it's not an if, it's a when. Oh wow, that's cool. Bullish. <clears throat> we need to put that in the show notes then, the uh, podcast. That needs to go in there. If we can get a link for that because I want to listen to that. And I'm sure a lot of listeners here will also want to listen to that. Um, yeah, he was also on Joe Rogan uh, apparently. And I didn't watch this, but it was going around uh-huh. that he was saying that, you know, on Joe Rogan, the largest podcast that there is, uh, he was saying that, Bitcoin is the future of money on the internet. So, I mean, pretty bullish things to be saying to a lot of people who probably aren't even familiar with Bitcoin. Uh, so, yeah, um, it's interesting. Cool. You know, it's uh, it's cool to have a uh, CEO of one of the biggest tech companies in the world uh, bullish on uh, on Bitcoin. And I think he also claimed uh, when someone asked him what other coins he owned, he said he only owns Bitcoin. So, uh, yeah, that was on Twitter. Maybe he's a closet maximalist or something. 
Oh, he's very much out of the closet. He's um, yeah. I guess, uh, I guess he's, he's been he's been he's been quite vocally um, vocally maximized for a while. Actually, I, it just in the last week he's done quite a bit of appearances, and I guess is uh, yeah, start I've paying seen him popping more. up all over the place. Yeah, he was on Sam Harris's yeah. podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. He was. exactly. Yep, yep. Speaking all of our rivals, Joe Rogan, Sam Harris. <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> bullish pumps, is Litecoin pamping itself? And that is a direct quote of how it was written here. So I'm just, uh, I'm not here to editorialize. They've just Pam. announced that they're looking to implement Mimblewimble into Litecoin. But guess who the foundation has approached about how to do that? Not the Grin guys, but rather Beam, the first Mimblewimble implementation and utilizing a founder's reward. Uh, and uh, Mario, you were saying that um, Charlie Lee's been getting some shit for this. Oh, well, not a whole lot. But I mean, I, th- I guess I think um, Charlie Lee kind of, Skirts. Um, he he's almost like he's sort of honorary maximalist status in a way. Like people don't, uh, you know, you have these kind of concentric circles of like Bitcoin maximalists. You have you know the really hardcore people that like you know if you even look at another implementation, you're you're dead to me. And then you kind of have people who are you know heavily maximalist but still sort of interested in the other projects. And um, so no, I just saw like some like uh, you know a couple comments where. Uh, people wondering why uh, why Charlie is uh, you know collaborating with a yeah with a coin that has a founder's reward and stuff, but uh, I didn't think too much of it. Uh, but you know how people are on the internet. It's true. It's true. You're right. Yeah, I mean it. It is interesting the concentric circles and uh, how there there is sort of like these um, these purity tests that people have for each other. And if you're not within perfect purity of that thing, then uh, you're you're out of the group. So I don't know. Yeah. I guess we I all do that. But I got the it. thing. The thing I find difficult about Charlie is that I don't really understand like what what his thinking is. Like you know, he, he sold all his Litecoin and he's still like doing all the stuff for Litecoin, and you know, he's doing these things that sound like a pump, but then he's claiming it's not a pump, and he seems like a nice guy, but then the things he does are a little bit questionable. But what and, would his interest be in pumping if he sold all of his Litecoin? That's the other thing. Oh, uh, yeah, that's why it's so confusing to me. Like I don't, I don't like, I don't even think it's consistent to not hold the thing that you are rooting for. You know, like like I, I, it's Skin just in the game. Read to me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean that that does make sense. Well, see, that's, I, uh, this is this is the okay. this is the damned if you do, damned if you don't part yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah. Is that, that is also if, true. It, it, it just like with the Nim thing, it's like, well, look, we we can trust these guys because they're all holding a uh, hundred million XEM, and so uh, you know they're not they're not a they're not dumping it all. So they they have an interest in the project doing well. But then if you're holding it and then you're pumping it, then it also looks bad. And it's like, well, well, no, no, Charlie's good because he got rid of it all. So he doesn't have an interest in pumping. And so it's kind of well, like, well, do we want them to like hold it or do we not want them to hold it? I don't know what the well, right it, answer it, is. It depends what you need by pumping. I mean, I, I'd rather if someone's developing and proposing like, you know, um, changes and updates to a project, I want them holding the coin. If all someone's doing is talking about how amazing the coin is, then um, yeah, if they're holding a bunch of it, I'm more skeptical. So it, it depends what type of... Yeah, it depends what words and actions uh, you're seeing from someone. So, Charlie, Charlie Lee is kind Litecoin, of though. Uh, yeah, well, Litecoin's uh, kind of in the middle almost, you know, because they're like, not. It, yeah, they're not adding any like novel research either, right? They're they're adding these things that other people have developed, and they're not really like doing anything that's particularly novel. Yes, I would agree with that. However, I would say that they are kind of uh, allowing a like 
true economic test of some of these some of these systems. So I, I, there is value in that, some value. I got to say, it's also possible that Charlie just like enjoys the whole development thing. Like he's probably I, he's probably set for life, you know, financially speaking. Like I don't like he probably doesn't need to work if he doesn't want to. Well, yeah, he um, dumped and, you know, when he, like when Litecoin was what like uh, three hundred dollars or something like that. So. Um, well, yeah, and even he was also like one of the earliest guys in Bitcoin. Like, you know, remember how, yeah. um, you know, he's been around a while. So, and I don't know what else he does. Like, I mean, you know, he does a magical crypto show, right? And he used to be the CTO of Coinbase, but um, I'm not really, other than, you know, that and Litecoin, I, I, I don't know what else he does. So it could be he just enjoys the development part of it to be, you know, very yeah. chari- to be charitable towards him. Here, here's my read on the situation. I think he just, like it's his baby. I think he felt like he had to sell for perhaps legal reasons and maybe he got that advice from someone. Um and but it's still his baby and he still cares about it and I don't know. I think he is coming from a a good place. Um now not uh, all that even aside from the the criticisms that are leveled at Litecoin and him sometimes. So that's my read on the situation. And honestly, like I think that there is some utility in Litecoin. You know, if if I sold my investment in the Unhash podcast, I'd still I'd still pamp you guys. That's true. Thank you. I would too. I appreciate that. Yeah. And that and and how worthy or how worth that pamp would be. It would be such a good pamp. Thanks. All right. Number five, Brock Pierce is claiming he owns eighty eight percent of Mount Gox. And Mark Carpellis is disavowing this, and as if just to prove he's one of the strangest dudes around, he referenced his beloved cat, Tibane, who, quote, has no record of any payment for the shares. So, uh, uh, Colin, I want to stop you right there because <laughs> I was, I was going to correct you, but I, I, I let you make this mistake on the show. Tibane is his cat's name, but it's also his company's name, so it actually made sense. He wasn't like, oh. talking about his cats. <laughs> okay. I, I just read well, what's written. Wait, hold up. You don't know that, That's Ruben. My fault. You don't know that, Ruben. He might have been <laughs> referencing his cat. His cat probably <laughs> definitely has no record of any pain for shares. That, that is also um, true. Like the the twi- tweet makes sense on, on both both fronts. All right. Well, uh, I, there's a little bit more here. So, according to Forex Crunch, quote: To gain ownership of Mount Gox, Pierce called up Carpellas and purchased his 88 percent stake in exchange for one BTC through an entity called Sunlot. He bought the other 12 percent from Stellar Ripple co-founder Jed McCaleb for another one BTC. His immediate goal is to use a legal process called civil rehabilitation plan to ensure that victims of the Mt. Gox hacker paid a fair share of what has become more than a billion dollars in assets. This rehabilitation plan is called the Gox Rising Project. I got to tell you, this just sounds like so much bullshit to me. And I don't know what he's how up do, to. How do you pay two Bitcoins for, for Mt. Gox? That seems very cheap. Yeah, and also Jed McCaleb got a way better deal than, uh, than Carpellas did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> one Bitcoin for eighty-eight percent, one Bitcoin for twelve percent. Uh, yeah. Wait, wasn't Brock Pierce going to like turn Puerto Rico into a blockchain utopia? Like, I thought yeah. that, was, that was what happened to that. Did that not happen? There's a hilarious video where like the natives were like trying to kick him out because he was just like sounds like invading in their space or sound, something. I guess they succeeded because he's now. No pret- idea. Pretending I mean, he bought Mt. Gox. This, this is also the same guy who at the like EOS fundraising seminar uh, said that EOS was going to 
change everything everywhere or something like he had some like ridiculous statement like that. Um, no, at least he wasn't he overselling it. They, <laughs> they asked him what EOS was and oh, he yeah, said right. EOS is everything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. What is EOS? It's everything. It's it's right. everything. So, um, oh. what isn't EOS? That's the question. That's the better uh, who, question. Who, what is it not? And that, the answer to that is nothing. Nothing. <laughs> because it's everything. Yeah. So it can't. So it, the thing it's not is nothing. So. <laughs> so so to wrap up, everybody's getting their money back. You had your money yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, it's guys. It's coming back, good guys. You're in good <laughs> don't worry, guys. It's fine. Yeah. Brock, Brock Pierce, no, Mighty no, Duck Extraordinaire. Yeah. First kid. You're I mean, no, this is the first kid yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, the weird part about this <laughs> is that. They're already <laughs> undergoing. They're already in the civil re- rehabilitation. So, like everyone was going to get their money back, or I mean, as much money as they could get back in BTC already. So, like, I don't really know what, like, wait, wait, you other mean, than you just mean being in, in slippery. What is right? Brock? What? what? What do you mean they already get their money back? Do like they don't get their BTC back? They get their no their money back based on the the value in Japanese yen at the time. Yes. It, no. It went down. That is not okay. So they got paid back. The, the 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 trust that was set up had you know X amount of Bitcoin left, like that they recovered, right? And since the price spiked so ho- so high, they were already able to pay everybody back the price in yen that they were owed like when it went under. So that part has already been like that BTC has already been sold and the yen has been repaid. Okay. And now there's all this like leftover Bitcoin. Uh, and so okay, okay. what's what's going on now is under Japanese under the original law, uh Mark Carpellis, since he owned Mount Gox, would have just gotten all that Bitcoin. Well, have you and seen the price of cat food in Japan? I mean, it's very expensive. True. So, <laughs> to be fair, and you know, record record, record keeping is a caloric intensive activity. So it's true. So, <laughs> so then the next step was okay. What do we do with all this Bitcoin? And uh, Carpella said that he did not want it and wanted to return it to the, you know, the people that it's owed to. And so then that's when they went into this. Uh, the process they're currently in, which I believe is already called the civil rehabilitation. And they're, like, if you have a claim, you can submit it and then get your Bitcoin back. Uh, The prorated for how much they can give you. I think you're going to get, like, you know, a third or uh, a quarter of what you put in, but you get something. Yeah, that's pretty pretty nice of him. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm not sure what, like, advantage Brock seems, like, thinks he's going to get or be giving people by by buying it, or you know, if he's just going to take it, I have no idea. But he's going to return. Maybe he just wants attention. Yeah, yeah. There's that. Uh, I was going to say he gets to revive Mount Gox, though. I mean, because if there's anything you want to do is to revive a yeah. besmirched exchange back to its its uh, former glory. That's I think true. the name could still hold some uh, value. Like people know the name. I, I, I don't think a well, reboot of Mangox would be a bad idea. That's like saying yeah. like uh, I I want to I, I want to like name my new U.S. Uh, party the Nazi Party because it has great name recognition. Like I, <laughs> I just don't know if that argument like stands up. Like I I think it's more akin to like Blockbuster. Like yeah. how much is like the Blockbuster name worth? It's probably worth something. 
or Enron. It's not, it's not worthless. I wonder who uh, owns Blockbuster. I don't know because, like, I think it's my not Hitler. I, I think my analogy is better though because the all the name recognition with Mount Gox is with with fraud and like poor uh, well, poor actually, handling actually, of funds. It, it is among the people currently that's just in in the community and people kind of know the history, <laughs> but they might end up like you know. Re- like reviving it and being like, we're like the original uh, Bitcoin exchange, the first one that ever existed, longest running. And they might they might just use that kind of market angle. I don't know. I don't Is think it it's still a good running. Idea, but technically, oh god, no, I don't think so. But like, no, you never know what they're going to claim if they bring it back, right? Yeah. Still to this day, people are uh, trading ghost Mt. Gox coins. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's just very secretive. Maybe, Wait, was maybe there he's, a Mt. Maybe Gox he's coin? Actually, no, I don't think so. Oh, you're just oh, okay, okay. Right. I see what you're saying. Maybe you, he actually maybe wants to. Had, maybe he wants to revert it to its real roots and then turn it back into Magic: The Gathering online exchange. That that might that be is it. where I was gonna go. Yes, that would be cool. Yes. All right, we we figured it out. We're on to you, Brock Pierce. I'm all for Keep that. Yeah, save. It'll Magic be the first the honest thing Brock Pierce ever did. Yeah. <laughs> Other than saving right. Federico, of course. <laughs> and create everything. I, I just want to see. I want to see Brock Pierce collaborate with the Fire Festival guy when he gets out of jail. I feel like they could do something really. They could create like the ultimate scam, and it would be awesome. All right, well, number six. We could- <laughs> Zcash <laughs> disclosed they had a counterfeiting vulnerability. It took them eight months to fix the bug since they chose to hide the fix inside a feature upgrade. Zuko Wilcox, CEO and founder of the Zcash company, said he didn't think the bug was exploited because. Quote, very few people knew the cryptography well enough to have discovered and exploited it, close quote. That being said, he also conceded they, quote, cannot be absolutely certain that the vulnerability wasn't exploited. <laughs> Ouch. Yep, well, that's the news. Um, so basically, this bug uh, had been in Zcash for a very long time. And, uh, you know, I, I find it hilarious, like, that he says that, oh, not many people have looked at this, so don't worry. Nobody actually found the bug because nobody's looking. I mean, that's, like, the worst type of security uh, where you just assume people haven't noticed. But, Ruben, well, Ruben, uh, like, is, is, a, also, is, a problem, is a problem really a problem if you don't notice it? Well, I, I guess not. <laughs> no, but, like, I, I also, like, it kind of says that, like, no one gives a shit about my project. Like... Don't worry, there was no one looking at this code because no one cares. I, I don't know. Like, is, is that that seems like a horrible line? This, well, am, he says nobody knew. He, he says nobody knew the cryptography well enough. Uh, more, more so, implying that it's just super complicated and not many people actually can wrap their head, heads around it. Uh, which also means that it's prone to uh, you know uh, mistakes and vulnerabilities because you know so few people have looked at it, so few people can comprehend it. So if something's wrong, like like who's going to notice? Uh, so I think it's more of a complexity issue than it's a uh, uh, people not caring issue. I remember when this issue got brought up the, the, about the tapes from the ceremony. I remember yeah. when it got brought up. Uh, I mean, this has been like four or five months ago. It was a long he, time ago. Yeah, that was Peter and, Todd tweeting about it. Yeah, and I messaged someone that I know at the the I guess the company or the foundation. I'm not really sure which. Um, and, and didn't get a response. So now I guess I know why. That's yeah. So, th- yeah, the potting ceremony files were actually uh, um, related to the bug. So, basically, if you had those files, 
you could get some uh, some numbers from the file basically that would allow you to to uh, utilize this exploit. And yeah, Peter Todd was uh, tweeting about it, like asking like, hey, where are these files? You guys used to have these files hosted. Uh, nobody seems to have a copy. Uh, I, I'm asking Zcash uh, Foundation or Zcash uh, company, sorry. And uh, they they don't seem to have it anymore. What the hell is going on? And, uh, you know, Zuko was actually giving him like, you know, some shit for it saying like, oh, this is not, you know, this is not such a big deal. We just lost it. Don't, don't worry about it. Uh, everything is fine. Don't worry right? about and then it. now it turns out ev- everything wasn't fine. So that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so one of, one of the things we we, we uh, glossed over was that uh, it they cannot be certain that the vulnerability wasn't exploited, and uh, the reason for that is because when they um, created their upgrade, uh, they basically everybody needs to update their UTXOs, and in order to do that, you needed to uh, basically disclose how many coins you had before switching over to the new system. There, thereby, they can kind of check when people are switching over, whether or not more coins than intended were created. But as far as I know, not all the coins actually were switched over to the new system. So it's still possible that some of these old coins cannot be claimed. Oh. So kind of like when uh, these blockchains move like from Ethereum to their own chain, like if you don't do it within a certain window, you're just SOL, like that, that type. So it could potentially be a fractional reserve between the old Zcash and the new Zcash, basically. Oh, okay. But like, or, if you own coins on old Zcash and you didn't move them, are they just poof gone now? So if you, it could be the case, I believe, and and I'm not. It's hard to find the exact details about this. So so I guess we'll be correcting it next week if I'm wrong. But from what I understand is that if if you try to move them now then maybe at some point there will still be coins left, but the limit has been reached. And that means that the bug was exploited. And oh. now the last the last people who didn't move don't get their coins. <laughs> okay, so it's like uh, if someone exploited, then uh, it's like a game of musical chairs. Think of it, think yeah, of, think of it as the fractional reserve and you got to get your um, your money off the exchange before everyone yeah, else does. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like a bank run basically. Yeah. yeah, okay. Is it safe to say... That this defense—I don't want to call it a defense—is it safe to say that this response. Um, response to this bug is basically the code equivalent of if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, did it really make a sound? Uh, well, I, I don't know if it's exactly the same, but definitely it comes close to it. I'd say, and uh, I mean there. It, it's it's kind of like being celebrated that the bug wasn't exploited and it's like oh great you found the bug amazing you know like that that's kind of how they're trying to uh how, how they're trying to portray it but like the fact that this is they don't just know like, that it wasn't exploited so it's definitely uh, yeah. a premature celebration and it always will be well mm. i i do think it's likely that if it was exploited it would have been exploited for a significant enough amount for it to have been noticed by now mm. you know so okay. that's that's kind of like how you can say like yeah it's likely or you know if it was like exploited in like a very modest amount then yeah it could it could go unnoticed if if the hacker thought that was smarter or something that yeah, is possible well yeah the the bigger like the more concerning thing here is not the actual bug itself i think it's just the the insights it gives us into the attitudes and procedures behind 
behind the Zcash project. Like, you know, yeah. like, like as Ruben says, like if someone found this exploit and actually wanted to exploit it, they would have just made a killing a while back and people would have noticed that, hey, you know, something funky is up with the supply. Um, so yeah, they probably didn't exploit it. But if, if the response is kind of like, well, you know, there weren't too many people who understand it and probably wasn't noticed. If that's their attitude towards bugs like these, I'd say the chances of something like this happening again and again in the future are high. And the more that happens, the more likely it will eventually get exploited. And yeah. think about this. Uh, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Mario, but that also means that like they were sitting on this bug for eight months. So they basically had the potential to exploit this bug and and it, it would even be anonymous. Like if Zuko went out and exploited this bug, nobody could have found out that it was him who did it. So it's like uh, it's like he just had like a, a you know free steel steel Zcash card in his pocket basically all this time. So you're also trusting them not to exploit whatever bug was found and disclosed to them. Wouldn't yeah. wouldn't wouldn't through like chain analysis you be able to maybe figure it out? It was him once he tried to dump those coins. I mean, there. Are, it depends on how smart he is. Like, if he does it the right way, then I don't think so. Especially the whole point about Zcash being that it's you know not uh, traceable. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. And if there's like one person who would probably know how to do it, it would be the that's true the foundation that's true. company Zuko. <clears throat> uh, but also, I think someone left a note kind of about this. But I'll go ahead and and use it. Um, they're not the only people who were using this code. So uh, the Zcast project. So, I mean, Z Classic and then uh, Bitcoin Private. The, I mean, there's a number of Fort coins that, um, you know, I guess they even have, you know, game theory wise, a uh, reason to. I, I'm not mm. saying they did this. So, and I don't think they did, but they would have a um, motive, I guess, to, to use it against other projects. Right. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Right, as well. If they're really and, uh, crafty, they could introduce it, patch it up, and then, yeah, like, um, yeah, and then exploit it on the other projects. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, you know, they don't have to bother introducing it. It'll just happen. You know, that's that's how it goes. So, you know, they'll they'll get a bug and then they get to abuse it if they want. Uh, but uh, I think, uh, you know, for one of the things was that they did disclose it to certain parties, but not all of them. And you know, one of the ones that was kind of, I guess slightly controversially left out was Bitcoin private. So this was, I, I guess, Z Classic as well was left out. Uh, 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 Brian, do you know the details? So no, Z Classic I, also was left out? Or no, was, I'm, not, I'm not saying they were left out. I'm just saying that there are a bunch of coins that use the same code base. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, no, however, if them I were, were them, left out. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, if I were them, though, isn't, isn't Bitcoin private? Uh, who? What's the name of the guy that started that? Um, mm. Oh, that's uh, oh, he's in the Briar Rhett? Patch. Yeah, Red Red Creighton, I think. Yeah, I, I would not have disclosed a vulnerability to him. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say I I've been I try to be careful about what I say and don't say on here. I will say that <laughs> I like if if I knew that I like there's no way I would have tipped my hat to that. So uh, why is that? Yeah, I, I don't it, I don't I don't know really much about him. I talked to like him a few times. Four, three or four different coins, and they've oh. all been you know of a similar vein. So I see. Um, and it's quite dangerous. I mean, you know, if you tell him, like, he he can exploit it, right? So it's yeah. like, who do you who do you tell? Like, I, I'm surprised they even told some of these. Uh, well, I think they fixed it first, 
And then once the fix was in, they started telling these uh, a couple of the other other uh, yeah uh, Zcash clones. But uh, you kind of have to tell them all at the same time because if you tell one and not the other, then the one can go and exploit it on the others. So I don't know. It's kind of like who you trust. But yeah, so well, yeah, I think they're just trying to tell only the people that they assume will not exploit it. But yeah, it's always a risk. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just that's very risky. Now. About the potting ceremony, transcript, fi- transcript files going missing. What I find odd about this is surely there are copies of these things out there. I mean, were, were they not just free to download at some point? They were for several months uh, at the beginning of the project. I'm not sure how long, but uh, apparently nobody bothered to download and keep a copy. That well, just, didn't, didn't, that just seems Pete, suspicious. Peter Todd did, though. No, so, he was looking for a copy. Oh, okay, he was okay. saying, like, where did this copy go? Can someone mail me a copy? And no one was mailing him a copy. Like, yeah, it was hosted, but now it's not. So I guess nobody, no one did have a copy. Again, going back to my point, like, no one's looking at this. Like, that's, uh, yeah. that's a good point, actually. You might be no right one's, that. <laughs> Like, don't worry, no one's looking at our tech. <laughs> should we, should we uh, create some sort of foundation that just copies all this stuff on every single one of these coins so when this stuff comes up you can just have these it's it's like basically a way back machine but for like shady crypto projects just crypto i mean Um, i don't know like i mean these types of files from this like potting ceremony that's that's not standard across cryptocurrencies though i mean i think that's um maybe not completely unique to zcash but um it's definitely not a common thing like bitcoin doesn't have this type of thing you know you're on a full node you got everything yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, what other currencies? Well, well, Ripple managed to lose some of their blocks. Yeah, so, you know. yeah. They lost. <laughs> oh, like, I in this story. I wonder. If the wonder like, but did they? Like, wow. You know, um, like <laughs> every time I bring this up, if, yeah. every time I bring this up to a Ripple person, they just shrug it off as if it means nothing. Like, well, who? I mean, you don't even need those blocks anyway. Well, yeah, you yeah. don't. Ripple just runs the thing. Yeah. Exactly, but yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, they're right. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Even if you had them and then disagreed with the current state, you're not going to be able to do shit about it. So I guess it doesn't matter. But what's also weird is that if you don't have these botting ceremony files, it's like having you know a, a closed source code because it, it's kind of like part of the the code that you need to verify in order to yeah. know if Zcash is running correctly. So that code wasn't there. So it was just basically kind of like a closed source blockchain at that point. Yeah. Also, the yeah. If you, yeah, if you don't know the the, if you can't follow the ceremony, then you just have to kind of trust that they didn't just create. I guess that they didn't do exactly what the bug allowed them to do, and just be able to create Zcash anonymously. So, I mean, it's kind of six of one and half a dozen the other if you look at it that way. Yeah. You know, I also like notice how this like shoddy, um, you know. Um, set of procedures by them resulted in them having to just outright lie to the public about this stuff. Like, you know, they just lied that the transcripts had gone missing. You know, uh, the next yeah. time, the next time there's something like this, like people aren't going to believe them, you know? Yeah. I, but I, and I would say that, um, they didn't have to do it that way. They could have just like pushed a, a quick fix, you know, just like we saw with the, uh, Bitcoin vulnerability that was discovered and uh, the same there was uh, a vulnerability that got discovered in Bitcoin Cash that you know 
Got yeah, it. yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was responsibly disclosed, so. and then they respond accordingly. Yeah, so again, yeah. like the major problem here isn't that one of these bugs arose in the first place. It's it's the whole kind of response to it and the, and uh, yeah, kind of uh, how much it unve- unveils about how the projects run. Yeah. And I think there, uh, there will always be Peter, bugs. I think it was Peter Todd, but it might have been J.W. Weatherman. He was on um, what Bitcoin did, uh, one of the recent episodes, and they were discussing this about how, you know, this is kind of the difference between it, that it just kind of speaks to the character. So it, this is definitely uh, uh, being talked about. Yeah, that sounds like a Peter Todd uh, episode. Yeah. One of uh one of the things I like about doing this show with you guys is that we talk in person or, or you know, not in person but you know, we we talk about things we usually just read about. For example, I've never heard someone say JW Weatherman's name out loud, and I like that Brian you pronounced it Weatherman um because that made me think <laughs> <laughs> that it just made me imagine, you know, him in front of a green screen uh, you know, delivering his uh your your with the wolf Chew- mask Chewbacca in front of the, the the green screen talking about what what the weather's like in well Chile. yeah he's kind of explaining the problems with Zcash while there's you know a hurricane yeah. system you know moving yeah. across the completely protected um, island of Puerto Rico thanks to blockchain yeah <laughs> it's all because of the low pressure that's developing in uh, Kansas that's going to mm-hmm. hold it offshore so that's yeah. the problem uh, J W Weatherman if you're out there can you please let us know how to pronounce your name so that we can get it. Right or wrong. And whether it's rating tomorrow, please. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. That's awesome. We know you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with that, guys, that's a week. That's a wrap up for our weekly news. Um, And that means it's time for ICO. My God, they're serious. Oh, my God. They are serious. (laughs) What was that laugh for? (laughs) <laughs> I just clicked he's, he's on never the he's site. never <laughs> I, I just clicked on the site for the first time. So so what what's the name of the site, uh, Brian? <laughs> Bitvitalic.io. Someone is yeah. paying uh I can't believe you guys have seen this one before. $45 a year to keep this site alive. So I thank you, sir, for <laughs> I just yeah, saw this the is uh, by far my my, my favorite ICO. It's yeah. really hilarious. Now, so uh, Fit Vitalik. So, in case everybody's wondering why we're laughing so hard, uh, it's basically a website about uh, getting Vitalik to to get into shape, and has a bunch of these photoshopped images with Vitalik's head and these really buff men. Uh, so, definitely check out the site fit, fitvitalik.io. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just hilarious. We it's, it's, like the they put a lot of effort into these photoshops. Like this is let me read amazing. let me read this for the for the listener because some people are much too busy thinking about our future. They've forgotten to think about theirs. We, the cryptocurrency community, have made it our mission to help one altruistic, <laughs> yet self neglectful genius at a time. <laughs> We're talking about Vitalik Buterin. I, I don't know how you guys have missed this one. This has been out for like two years or something. Um, I've yeah. not seen this before. Oh, yeah. Um. I think I even used like these uh, on, on Telegram. I used these uh, these chat uh, uh, emoticons that are like pictures from this this ICO. Uh, you know what's great? There's, right. a sli- there's a slider at the bottom. Um, so you can slide and see the different images of Vitalik along his journey. He just gets oh, more and more man. buff as you go on. 
<laughs> oh my god. Okay, hold on. The plan. Unfortunately, uh, oh. <laughs> success has made him so super busy, he's forgotten one very important person in his life. Himself. This is why we're here, and we have the perfect plan for his rescue. Healthy sleep, physical activity, healthy diet, nutrition. So, all right, what's the coin? Is it like funding this uh, this uh, personal trainer and a dietitian or something like that? Yeah, I think that's the idea. Um, they've got like a bunch of questions that you actually, you know, would ask. Like, have you informed Vitalik you're doing this at behalf? No, this ICO is intended to be a surprise from the cryptocurrency community that wants to be healthier. <laughs> surprise, and then, Vitalik. And then like next question, but he might turn your offer down. What will you do then? Yes, he might not take it seriously right now, but it doesn't change in any way the sincerity of our efforts. Therefore, we'll make we'll make our offer free from a deadline. And then, like, there's a bunch of these, and at the bottom it says, "Is this a joke?" No, this is 100 percent serious. <sighs> I, I, I like, wonder. Uh, so it looks like they didn't meet their uh, their goal. Um, yeah. No. Nope. They they wanted yeah. to make two thousand. And that's and, and that's why Vitalik is still thin. Yeah. Um, good point. They, yeah, they, and they were planning to uh, keep ten percent of it. By the way, that was the development cost. Well, basically. clearly, I mean, they put a lot of effort in here. Um, I mean, it's only three. I, if if nice there was, site. if there was ever a justified founder's fee, they, this is it. You know, they got thirty-three ETH. I mean, even at current prices, that's you know. But if they're only keeping three or ten percent, then that's only three point oh. three well, ETH. I mean, if they don't reach the funding thing, though. exactly, they didn't reach the goal. Like sixty ETH was their like their minimum goal, and they didn't reach right. it. So, what's going to happen to the money? I don't know. I think they just get to keep it. What's know, the ticker say. for this? Is it FVT oh, yeah. or something? I'm I'm not sure, but I I think it was traded on an exchange. I actually briefly looked at it, and they had like no volume. It's on Coinbase, which I've what? never heard of. Coinox. You know, you know what I love about this ICO is that they're not pretending that it's a fucking useful token. They're just skipping all that bullshit, right? They're yeah. just like, we're just raising money here. We just, we just want this dude to put on a bit of muscle mass. Um, uh, we, we don't care what you do with the tokens. <laughs> um, you pretty much can't sell it. There's no bid on CoinNox. You know, what, um, you know what they should have done? They should have gotten a trainer that only accepts Fit Vitalik tokens in exchange for. Oh, payments. that would have yeah. been it. They would have been like, you know, here we found these individuals who, you know, this dietitian and this trainer and this uh, bro scientist yeah. who are all going to accept only fit Vitalik coins. Mm. Oh, the uh, the symbol is FVIT. So F-V-I-T. F-V-I-T. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And uh, so they have also a, a, a subreddit called Fit Vitalik ICO. So R slash Fit Vitalik ICO. And basically, it's a bunch of people who are uh, showing their photoshops with Vitalik uh, <laughs> looking buff. So <laughs> check that out as well if you if you want some hilarious pictures. R yeah. fit Vitalik ICO. I, yeah. I put a link in the show notes below the I, ICO link if you if you want to click it. Oh yes. But well, guys, oh, this is on our okay, uh, total transactions seventy eight. Um. Only one million nine hundred sixty-six thousand four hundred twenty-four tokens left. Mm. <laughs> well, all right. Well, I have choice. nothing negative to say about this. Yeah. Well, they do have a limitation, though. Like Vitalik can only spend up to four thousand U.S. dollars per month from the fund. So there's a limit to how fit he can get. I uh, well, what if yeah. he wants to get five thousand dollars a month fit? 
Well, he's not going to get it. He's going to have to pay on his own. Yeah, to pay on his own. Yeah, don't know how I feel about that. Now, here's one thing I like. They said that the on the Q and A at the bottom, the FAQs. That the question is, this is kind of like a Kickstarter. What do I get in return for buying? You'll get the positive feeling of helping. (laughs) Yeah, cheesy, but we're helping Vitalik, a man who is just in his early twenties, but already done so much for the world's future. Subsequently, making sure he chooses to live and stay healthy is an investment in our own future. <laughs> yes, that includes yours, of course. So, I, it's true. I, they they got some good reasons. Investing in the future, yeah, it's a positive. Yeah. You got to keep yourself fit, and yeah. everybody who's like pumping your coin, they got to be fit. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, the roadmap ends ends in uh, Q three twenty eighteen. So I don't know. He like keeps playing sports. Here. Yeah, I guess he's just still doing sports yeah. nowadays. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, he looks like it. Well, I if guess only they would have gotten up to their their soft, soft, uh, soft whatever. What do they call them? Usually? Soft supple biceps on Vitalik. No, no. Like when they get up to the the deadline, or not the deadline, but the the limit for how many they're gonna sell. Yeah. Anyway, they'll probably just mint more. No. Yeah. Well, with right. with that very very obviously serious ICO, uh, we're gonna <laughs> end it, and it's time for the lightning round. So I think it's Mario's turn, right? No, no, nope. Ruben. Uh, Ruben. No, 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 it's it's all me. All right, Ruben, give us your uh, order. Hold on, let me let me scroll towards my question. Oh, there, there. Okay, uh, order is gonna be mm, Mario, Brian, and then Colin. All right. All right. So first question. Uh, let's say you can get $100,000. However, you got to choose whether it's $100,000 just in dollars and you're going to get it 20 years from now. Or you get $100,000 in the top 100 uh, coins on coin market cap minus your five personal favorites. So minus Bitcoin, minus whatever four other coins you like. So it's ba- basically the 95 shittiest coins from the top 100 uh, for 20 years. 100K. Which one are you choosing? So you have to get like, they'll buy them for you now and you have to lock them up for 20 yeah, years. So you're locking up the coins for 20 years or you just get 100K in dollars for uh, in, in 20 years. Um, okay. are, are we, like, what's our, what's our metric for top coins is Coin market cap is uh, that, just uh, coin market cap top hundred. Okay, starting at number six, Bcash, Tether, and Tron. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, come on, well, oh, we're not man. counting the the uh, stable coins. That that's not what? fair. But Tether's one of my favorite altcoins. Right. Well, um, yeah, I guess it could also fail. Okay. Fine. Um, okay, here's my thinking. Just like let's say that they figure out a way to scale Monero and get full scripting on it. Like that might be a big thing. And but no, but 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 there you don't get your top five favorite coins. But no, 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 no. Monero's yeah. number thirteen, man. No, no, your top five. No, favorite. your top favorite. Your personal top fa- top five. Yeah. So oh. like, you have to pick five out of the hundred that are your favorite, and then you don't get those. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> evil, huh? Well, kind of evil. Uh, yeah. So basically, yeah. I mean, I'll just, it, it I'll just asks, honestly just so that I don't. Like, I'm going to take the $100,000 20 years from now, just in U.S. dollars. And the reason I'm going to do that 
is because I don't expect there to be a lot of money left at the end of that, like in in either case. But just if if I've got all of these shit coins, I'm gonna waste so much time over the years checking how much they're worth. Or I'm gonna like watch their like <laughs> slow demise. Whereas if it's just like twenty years from now, I get an unexpected, you know, you know, gift of cash. Great. I just won't worry about that till then. So I'm gonna go with US dollars twenty years from now. Done. Cool. Uh, I'll, I'll take the shit coins. Yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll roll the dice. I don't know. That sounds that sounds better. If you do the <laughs> present value of a hundred grand, it's not that much. So I'll, I'll just I'll like I said I'll roll the dice. I mean, worst case is they just keep up with inflation better than the hundred thousand dollars will. So what is a hundred thousand dollars in twenty years? I don't even know. Uh, I mean, it's, I'll it's, do the it's PV kind of on to it. Say, but uh, you could I guess no no no. I'll I'll, I'll well, I mean, assuming assuming it goes in a similar trajectory. In yeah. Although, if if hyper Bitcoinization happens, it'll be worth a lot less. Yes. Uh, well, I'm taking the cash because I think no amount of inflation is going to make them totally worthless, which is what I think <laughs> the top yeah. 100 coin market cap cryptos minus my top five picks are going to be worth. So I'm going with the cash. Um, I think there's a decent chance both will be worthless, but I think there's a much greater chance that all those coins will be worthless. If if for <laughs> no other reason than other coins, other shit coins will overtake them in the next couple of years anyway. So, at the, although those other shit coins might be forked from these ones, um, that's a good point. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going with the dollars. It seems like a way less risky bet. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's all gonna go to shit. So I agree. <laughs> it doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter, dollars. guys. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the dollars. I mean the the, the coins. Oh, okay. Everything minus maybe like a, you know a couple of coins they might survive, but I think most of them are just gonna disappear. I was hoping someone was gonna be like, I don't expect to live that long, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so next question is if. Let's assuming you could go back in time and you could talk to Satoshi and Satoshi's just about to implement a one megabyte uh, limit and you can convince him to go to two megabytes or go to 500 kilobytes. What will you convince him to do? It's the easiest question ever. 500 kilobytes. Done. Uh, I don't even know. I'm ready. I'd flip. I'd flip a coin. What? I don't think it really matters. What? I really don't. I don't think it matters. I think like whatever limit you want to pick, like, like they're both so abysmally low that I don't think it matters. And yeah, they're both I mean, too Luke high. Is gonna, Luke is gonna like fly through my microphone and stab me in the face. But like, <laughs> I, I think like we're arguing over the all like these these little nitnoid. I'm glad we're not arguing about this anymore. It's but nit, like, nitnoids, nitnoid, yeah. Uh, I've never I, heard that word. Before. I'll say, I'll say, uh, two megabytes, just so that people can be mad at me. All right. Um, <clears throat> Colin, I, I don't feel I'm really qualified to say, frankly. Um, oh, that is such a cop. Colin, none of us are qualified to say any of the things we say on this podcast. <laughs> well, that's why it's so funny. <laughs> and. Then I'll go 500. I, I don't know. I don't. I also don't think it matters right. that much. I, I I think 500 is better than two, though. Just my my gut saying that. So, all right. 
Yeah, so I think you all made good points. Um, for me, it's also, it doesn't matter a whole lot. I I don't like either one, uh, but I guess maybe two megabytes because you can always soft fork down. So if there really is a big problem with two megabytes, I you know it's e- more easily fixable than uh, a hard fork to increase the block size. So yeah, I don't know. It's I guess that's what I'll go with. I mean, the thing is, like early on at this stage in Bitcoin's existence, I like having cheap fees is not. It's not important. It's not. <clears throat> You know, that's not like the, the work that we have to do to get this to be a global currency is not happening at that level. We have so much deeper level stuff to happen. Yeah, that was like, yeah, we have yeah. kind of, you know, infrastructural changes, you know, things like SegWit, fixing malleability, you know, um, developing, uh, you know, privacy, Honestly, a more scalable smart contract, stuff like that. And, you know, being able to cap, you know, remember that all the activities that happen on the chain then contribute to. The initial block time d- blockchain download for all nodes for the rest of Bitcoin history, as long as we use the same trust model, um, and so it seems kind of a waste for people to be just you know like all these people like were just kind of like sending transactions around just for shits and giggles in the early days. Like now, everybody has to record those forever. Um, so yeah, it seems way way better to be on the side of um, to be on the, the the side of caution when it comes to this stuff. So then, uh, do you think SegWit was a mistake, increasing the block size? <laughs> um, I, well, I don't know if it was a mistake. Like, I mean, because right now I'm talking about like if you know if we could all come to agreement, what would be the best agreement? SegWit increasing the block size well, um, was. We didn't have to increase the block size when SegWit. That's came. true. I mean, I think that was a compromise that we probably shouldn't have gone with because a lot of the people who wanted bigger blocks ended up leaving anyways. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it would have been. I mean, it would have been better if SegWit just kept the same block size and, you know, made like... So that's interesting, yeah. You know, three quarters of a witness data or something, yeah. Um, but again, like, I mean, I only showed up after SegWit was pretty well... Um, Seg- SegWit was pretty well formed. Um, we knew what it was going to be by the time I knew enough to start looking into it, so... Yeah. So the next question is kind of uh, related to this, so... I'll just go ahead and ask it. Um, So would you be willing to pay extra to fill up blocks with easy to validate null space, essentially? So imagine you could pay, uh, you could pay as if you made like, you know, a hundred kilobyte worth of transactions, but it would just kind of be like not, the space would just not be utilized. Well, so would you be willing to kind of pay to to kind of fill up the blocks so at least there's a bit of a barrier to other people filling it up with what actual transactions? Would I Why would you want to do that? Would I personally be willing to pay? No, I don't think so. Um, I, um, but I'm stoked if other people are. So you could do this. Uh, well, you I could. think Ruben's going to clarify after he... I, I know why Ruben's asking this question. I think he wants you guys well, you to could, answer that he'll explain you can pay the miners to mine empty blocks. Yeah, but that's a bit uh, more expensive. Yeah, you, could, like, you, you, you can do it off-band. Like you can, yeah, if yeah, you just exactly. communicate to them directly, then definitely you can. Yeah, like every, like hey, every time that you mine an empty block, I'll send you a check for five hundred bucks. Yeah, I think, I think you easy. might need a bit more money than that. Uh, I mean, what? How much? What are fees running right now? Oh, I think they get more than five hundred bucks per. Well, actually, okay, I guess it depends if it's full or not. Um, I mean, e- even a full block worth of fees, you only have to pay like three cents to get it in there. So, like, it couldn't be that many. 
Um, uh, yeah, sure. That's fair. Uh, I, I don't know. But well, either way, no, right. I, was, I, was, I was imagining a full mempool and you're imagining a not full mempool. So I think that's a good point. I'm trying to think of why you want to do this unless you're just doing it as an attack on the network to try and. No, no. The idea is null space. So it doesn't actually um, um, uh, add to resource requirements for running a node. Yeah. So it essentially yeah. stems the growth of the blockchain. Yeah, we should set up a fund and then like Luke Dash Jr. and all the people who want smaller blocks can, you know, pay these miners. Yeah, so you're essentially, you're kind of paying, you know, because the problem is that if you, if blocks aren't full, then adding something to a block, it just costs nothing. Like there's a, there's a DOS fee of like one Satoshi per byte, but it's really minimal. And so you could kind of like up that fee and make people a little bit more careful uh, to add stuff to the block by kind of paying paying to not have transactions included. So, you know, you could you could pay so that the minimum to add something to a block uh, becomes five Satoshis per byte, for example. If everybody were to kind of like, you know, uh, make sure miners are compensated for more than uh, a full block worth five Satoshis, then, then that would kind of happen. And uh, yeah, this is what Luke Jr. was kind of like... Um, I, I, I didn't actually look at his proposal very closely, but he he kind of tried to create a way where you can add some extra, basically null data to your transactions to to kind of have this effect. Would you? I just had an idea. Like, let's say, would you be able to trustlessly set up a fund that automatically pays out a set amount to a miner who creates a block under a certain size? I feel like that, that, uh, you could maybe that should be something do that's it. doable in script, right? Uh, well, it could be soft forked in, but definitely it's not something that's supported right now. Uh, and you could also like, you know, maybe utilize Ethereum to analyze the Bitcoin block and allow miners to take money from some kind of, you know, a smart contract if the block is under a certain size. So you could do, maybe do it that way. Uh, but uh, I guess, I guess theoretically be, possible, but, but not today. I guess it'd be easier just to have a foundation under like Luke's control. <laughs> um, yeah, why doesn't he <laughs> yeah. do that? Maybe we should, uh. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet at him. Yeah, see yeah, if he yeah. He could, the idea. That, that, like, that might be better. Hey, yeah, dude, just like just pay wants, miners every time the block isn't full. Yeah, because that I think yeah, people like would if be the pissed. Block is under people would be pissed. The, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's the same as paying for like a mm. big transaction in there. Oh, oh no, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's great. I'm just saying people would be pissed. Yeah. yeah so basically, imagine if you wanna if you wanna up it to five satoshis per byte, then basically you would have a block that is like half full and all the transactions are five satoshis per byte or higher. And then the fund would pay the other half. Um, yeah, that would work. One of the problems here is that if you get a time of low traffic on Bitcoin, you'll essentially be paying miners out and when it doesn't actually stop blockchain bloat. So I think you need some sort of yep. conditions in there where you only pay, um, you only pay, like make the payout if there are a certain amount of transactions left over in the mempool. Uh, I think that's tricky, tricky because you can't really determine which of these transactions are bloat or, or yeah, like necessary. Yeah, that's true. I guess not. the miner could spam. The, mm. I, I think you just need an upper upper bound. You just say like, this is what I think transactions should be worth at the very least. Uh, therefore, anything that, that's lower than that, I'm going to incentivize not adding it. Yeah. Or you could just figure out what they would make on that and then say, if you're, <coughs> you know... If you make a block that's less than uh, half a megabyte, I'll give you X amount of money. And then you don't even have to, you know, like 
they can choose for themselves how they want, like if they want to make, if they want to take your, your 500 bucks for doing right. that, then they'll take it. Or if it's worth more because the mempool is bid it up so much, then they'll put the transactions in and make a full block. Um, yeah. I think that roughly comes down to what I said. Yeah. Okay. Well, hmm. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Yep. Uh, all right. Next one. Uh, if cash became abolished, would you be either sad for society or happy for Bitcoin? Hmm. Um, I mean, obviously you feel both, but you know, if you had to pick one, wait, can you? Sorry, okay. what, what were the I, options again? So, if cash became abolished, ah. so no more cash, uh, cashless society, uh, your money can be traced by banks all the time. Uh, would you be more so sad for society or would you be kind of happy that Bitcoin now has like a stronger use case? Yeah, I'd probably be more upset it was being abolished depending on how it's done and the reasons for it. Like I, I can't, Im- I have a lot of trouble imagining that abolishment happening without me at the same time becoming very, very um, wary of nefarious government overreach. So I, and you know, I... I'm doing okay. Like, I mean, you know, I'm and Mario, not, I'm, Mario I'm is the statist among the four of us. So it's uh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the state. Well, no, I think Ruben also is isn't quite an anarchist either. Um, no, but I just think, uh, relatively yeah, speaking, like, um, the rest of us. Yeah, but I'm not like pro Stalinism. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, no, I, 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 <laughs> I I'm kind of making a joke a little bit. Yeah, though. no, no, no. Um, no, I would probably be sad for cash. I mean, like, I mean, I think Bitcoin's gonna get where it's going to go and the abolishment of cash is in like a certain region isn't going to have a huge impact on that. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm um, sad for society. I'd be happy for Bitcoin. I got, I got bags to pump over here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you guys, but more than being sad for society or happy for Bitcoin, I'd be happy for Bitcoin cash because that's the true cash coin really so i gotta say i'm it does it does have cash in the name (laughs) i i mean i colin i don't know what you're talking about i said bitcoin obviously i was talking about bitcoin cash i mean wasn't that clear but that's true yeah i mean you're right that's the real bitcoin i'm sorry yeah (laughs) no i I will be sad for society uh because i i just don't think bitcoin's ready to fill that role yet totally so um I don't know if it's ready for the prime yeah. time yet. So uh, in the meantime, yeah. I, I like having that cash option. But Yeah, I would be sad for society too. So I so, guess Brian is now uh, our token selfish statist. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Another one that's government related. Uh, let's see if I not mess this up. Would you prefer if governments would force everybody to pay uh, a plastic tax to mitigate all the environmental damage that plastic does? Or would you rather that there's a a voluntary tax that you can pay? So for any piece of plastic, you can just kind of opt into like paying extra. Uh, but not everybody's doing it. So, you know, you're paying for it and you're you're doing your share, but, you know, your neighbor might not. And uh, it's not fully fixing the plastic issue. You're just trying to make us fight, aren't you? Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with the, the mandatory tax. There's no such thing as a voluntary tax. It's, it's not a tax. It's just that's a program you can choose to participate in, and there are plenty of those already. Yeah. So that's essentially, like that's essentially doing nothing. Over you're, just, paper bags you're just reminding that kind of people thing. that you, know, you can choose to donate to like you know the Ocean Cleanup Project or whatever. And uh, so I'm going to go with the plastic tax because I think there are a lot of people out there who either deny that these problems exist 
um, or um, like I mean, you're pricing an externality. Like assuming that it wasn't outrageous, and yeah. they actually there was a reasonable amount of research and calculation done to show that you know there's strong evidence that plastic causes you know X amount of damage, and this is about the cost to um, addressing that. Then I'm like, go for it, put the tax in, use it to subsidize um, um, the destruction of cash. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, clean tech or whatever. Yeah, I'll go with the tax. Uh, this isn't even a question for the other guys. To, <laughs> this will and to, to be clear, the money goes directly to also solving the plastic issue. So it costs something to get rid of the plastic, and, and that's what the money goes okay. to. Yeah, same answer. Uh, I would go with the voluntary tax. Uh, I guess the, the voluntary payment. But I think all taxes would be voluntary. Uh, and, you know, you could do this now, really. Um, you could go, uh, you know, Go pick up straws if you want, or go pay for straws to get picked up for you. So, yeah, I mean, actually, if, yeah. if anyone wants one of those, look up the the uh, ocean cleanup project or the Great Ocean Cleanup Project. Or something we'll put it in the show notes. But actually, if you want to contribute something like this, there is a really really cool project going on right now where they're building this giant, these giant kind of U shaped things to float around the great garbage patch in the uh in the pacific ocean and then like bring the plastic back and make like sunglasses out of it and stuff so um if you want to do that that's yeah you already can donate plug over um Colin? is the tax revenue neutral no uh what do you mean by that no he's asking if the, if the money goes back to people like in the form of tax discounts for other things but uh ruben was saying that the the funds collected no. by the tax would then be donated to kind of plastic cleanup efforts. Well then, but I mean, you can have revenue neutral carbon taxes and it still goes to, I guess the carbon tax is just to nope. disincentivize using the carbon. The car- Rev- okay, yeah, then I, revenue then neutral means that it goes back to people in the form of tax discounts. No, no. Revenue rates. neutral means that like other taxes are cut. Yeah. In order, in the same amount that that tax is increased. Well, there are a few different ways to accomplish it, but in any case, for this scenario, the way Ruben described the answer is no. Well, I didn't hear him say anything about. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, no, uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I fully follow, but I, I think I, I agree. You should see it as a completely separate thing. It doesn't affect any of the other taxes, so it's not revenue neutral, I guess. Well, then I'm going to be against it, but for different reasons than Mario is probably thinking. Um, I, I'm. If there's one use for government, it is to it is to fix externalities that the market has a hard time uh, uh, compensating for, and so um, pollution is, is is one of those things. Um, but I just don't really have any faith that the government will be effective at using those funds to actually clean up any plastic. Uh, I think it'll just become a uh, dead weight loss. Uh, and uh, so I, I don't think that it will actually do any good, so I'm against it. So if it was revenue neutral, would you have been for it? Uh, sure. Hmm, interesting. Because I, so, I have a feeling that it would be better used there, however poorly it would be used, than it would be for whatever other uses they have. I guess it, I guess it might depend on what they were cutting. Ruben? I mean, uh, the, the way I phrased the question, it was like, you know, assumed that they were going to, you know, uh, use the money in a way that actually solves the problem, which I agree is maybe uh, questionable, a but uh, no, I, I, 
I, you know, with, with that assumption, I, I definitely, uh, I think it's a, it's a reasonable idea to, you know, force everybody to pay the tax uh, as much as I'm, uh, you know, I, I prefer as little government interference as possible. Uh, yeah, solving externalities is uh, like like Colin said. I agree. It's uh, definitely the one thing that governments are good at, and well, I think that's well, exactly. Well, I don't know if I'd say they're good at it, but I would say that that is their <laughs> that is their intended use case, and yeah, they yeah. have been good at it a time or two before, maybe. But <laughs> I I don't know if generally they're very. I, I'd good say. At it. It's the best solution we currently have, uh, and and definitely also also in that vein, I, I would hope for there to be other solutions in the future uh, that I perhaps haven't thought of yet that allow us to do it better yeah. than just having the government force us. But I, at the moment, I don't see a better. Yeah, better I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you uh, fix the externality of people like spewing. CO2 out of their cars every day. You know, I, I don't know oh, how that, Well, you you make an ICO out of well, it. That's true, yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's the best way. Yeah. yeah. Everybody can own a bit of uh, nature and get compensated for, I don't know, whatever. Stuff like that. All right. Next question. Should Litecoin add either confidential transactions or Mimblewimble? Um, mm. I don't really give a shit. Um... They can do what they want. Um, <laughs> I like. Um, I have no strong opinion. Do I have to answer? I really, I really don't care. Um, just give an answer. Oh, okay. Just, just, okay. just, just pick one. Fine. All right, Mimblewimble, because I want to see how that would get added. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. Mimblewimble. Hmm. Yeah. I'm gonna say Mimblewimble. Why not? Uh, I'm going confidential transactions because I want to see how that works on code base. It's really similar to Bitcoin, so we can see how that would turn out. I think you already can um, with Liquid. Yeah, I. Uh, it, it's hard to say. Like on one hand, like if you if you choose confidential transactions, then Litecoin stays closer to Bitcoin. So I kind of like that. But if you pick Mimblewimble, then they're doing a little bit more novel research, hopefully, at least, well, there's a chance that it'll be a little bit more novel than what, what they're doing if they just added confidence and transactions. So considering I think Litecoin is, ha- its use case thus far has been to be as close to Bitcoin as possible, I'm going to go with confidence and transactions. Yes, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then the final question. And this is a, uh, well, this is one that I think you guys are into, uh, which is Sam Harris or Jordan Peterson. Oh, Sam Harris. Yeah. Not, yeah, definitely Sam Harris. I don't know if I've ever listened to Sam Harris. Really? Oh, he's great. Really? But, so I guess I'll say Jordan Peterson because I've watched a couple of YouTube clips of him. Yeah, this one's easy. I'm definitely going Sam Harris. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Sam Harris is the right answer. Uh, And I think this is an interesting one for the listeners because I think a lot of people know Jordan Peterson more than they know Sam Harris, I feel. Uh, Probably in the Bitcoin Uh, thing, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like Sam Harris is actually the more interesting one of the two. And I like Jordan Peterson too. Uh, but, uh, but Sam Harris is really, uh, yeah, it's got some spot on commentary and uh, great podcast. So definitely- Definitely, that's the answer. Well, yeah, it's also an interesting question because there's like people like us who kind of like both of them, but like lean for more towards one. But then, if you're like a hardcore 
Jordan Peterson person. You like hate Sam Harris, I feel. Hello? Am I cut out or are you guys cut out? No, I'm here. Uh, we can hear you, Ruben. No, yeah, we got you. Oh. I, okay, I, I couldn't hear one bit there. I don't know what happened. Uh, you want to go ahead and call him? Uh, well, I was just saying that um, I feel like if you're really hardcore Jordan Peterson fan, then you people they those people tend to like really hate uh, Sam Harris for some reason. I think it's because they like buy into his like Peterson's concept of uh, like truth is only truth if enough people believe it is kind of thing. Oh yeah, and, he has. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I think so. truth. I, I think also a lot of the people, if you're into Jordan Peterson because you like his justification for um, for religious belief, then you're not going to like Sam Harris because Sam Harris is a very, very outspoken uh, atheist and kind of anti uh, religion advocate. So, but 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 Peterson is really strange because he he doesn't give like the normal justifications that like most religious apologists give which so it, it like attracts a very specific kind of religious person and and like i would say a lot of pearson's fans aren't necessarily religious like there's other reasons people like him but um it, it is interesting like the the kind of the dynamic between those two guys because they they they're like friends i think but but they have yeah, they like these audiences who are very uh like parts of each of their audiences like hate the other side a lot so it's just a really weird situation yeah it was interesting. I, I got to see the two of them speak um, in Vancouver when they when they came there, and uh, yeah, 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 I was surprised. I was. Su- oh, you actually went? Oh yeah, yeah. I got to see their their first ever um, kind of public conversation together, and uh, cool. I was surprised at how divided the audience was. Like, it was a bit more. One of the things that was kind of fun. There was a lot of energy in the room. People were really excited to see them, and like it was a full auditorium. It was a full theater, and but then there was a lot of like cheering for one or the other. Um, which I don't think really well suits the types of discussions they're supposed to have. Like you want to be engaging yeah. with the other person as much as you can, not really scoring audience points. But I was yeah. quite um, surprised at, yeah, how much of a divide there was. And uh, and I think he actually made that comment. Sam Harris made that comment during the talk, and he said, um, he said, uh, it, of all his you know public appearances, that was one where he noticed that the most. And I remember you know, the, like you know Jordan Peterson made some point that I didn't think made any sense. And he got a big cheer from one side of the room. And uh, Sam Harris goes, uh, you know, I just heard from your side of the audience there. And now I have to try and figure out why they were applauding. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was an interesting thing to, to be a part of. Um, but I think that both of them, they, they, I think they tend to have better discussions when they're not in front of a crowd. Yeah. I, 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 I think that would detract a lot. So, yeah, well, is it was that the last uh, lightning round question, Ruben? That was the last one. All right, well, with that, guys, uh, we thank you for listening. You can find show notes for this episode as well as all the others on uh, unhashedpodcast.com. Uh, you can follow, uh, well, I think you can follow find all of our Twitter handles probably on the website. I don't know. I keep saying that, but I've never confirmed that, so i got to go look. Maybe we should add those. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> at unhashedpodcast. Um and I don't know if there's anything else to say. I guess we'll see you guys next time. Do we do we have a guest lined up? We keep saying we're going to get fluffy on uh, here. But we, we have we have a we have a maybe guest for next time. Um, okay. I don't think we should say anything. It'll be a surprise. All which right. Might be no one. Bum bum bum. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I don't even know who that is. So I, I have an idea of who maybe you're referring to, but um, I guess I guess I'll, I'll find out with uh, the listeners at some point. So um, yeah. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. And we'll see you next week on Unhashed Podcast Show. We encrypted down to earth and cut through all the blockchain bullshit. We love you very much, and we bid you 
at you. Goodbye. Goodbye.